Hi, healers. I'm KJ Nazrul, a licensed mental health practitioner and a recovering secret artist. I'm the founder of Bliss Begins Within and the wellness program Healing Our Healers. I believe we all have remarkable courage within and that we can heal ourselves and many others by listening to the wisdom of our unique personal experiences and in sharing our stories out loud with our communities. Weekly episodes will feature recorded interviews and live sessions with healers, visionaries, and change makers who will guide us in how to live more creatively and resiliently through artful expression, music, and compassionate conversations. Welcome to Stories of Astonishing Light. Hi, all. It's KJ here. I'm excited for you to meet my friend Michelle on today's episode of Stories of Astonishing Light. As neonatal lactation consultant, Michelle Yurick is in the trenches working with women in their most powerful and vulnerable states of being during pregnancy and in the moments after giving birth. Also, she understands the great sacrifices a mother makes. At the start of COVID, she said goodbye to her children and sent them to live with relatives for eight weeks so that she would not risk exposing them to the virus. In her vast experience working across a spectrum of hospital units, from pediatrics to orthopedics, from perinatal and the neonatal ICU, Michelle discovered her own ability to deeply connect with her patients by providing comfort in one of the simplest, most profound acts of care, and that's in listening. Please join me for an inspiring conversation with my very first friend in the entire world as she realizes, and during this episode, that she has a superpower and she can revolutionize client care in hospital settings by guiding other healthcare providers beyond the technology in a return to humanism. How powerful we are in our compassionate exchanges of stories about essential topics, love, loss, attachments emotional wellness, grief, and women's resilience. Listen in as we embrace empathy. I might know some of these, but I would love to hear this from you, my friend. Okay. Give me some of your earliest memories of being defiant. Oh, dear. (laughs) Um, I'm going to just sit back and let you go. I was the child that pretty much did everything my parents told me not to do. And it wasn't because I didn't respect them or didn't love them. Um, I was just uh, extremely curious. (laughs) You know, like, um, I, I, I don't have this memory, but it's my parents have told me this story. I don't know how many times as a toddler. So I've been a night owl my whole life. Unfortunately, I've always been involved in things that require me to get up early. Mm-hmm. That's been my downfall. Um, but my parents have always told me the story when I was like a toddler of me getting out of bed and them telling me to go back to bed. And it was, I'm not going to do that. And um, I don't know how many times I crawled out of bed. My parents would spank me and they'd make me crawl back in. And they basically made me do that till I was too tired to crawl back in the bed. And that was their way of like solving the problem. Basically wear you down and make make sure that you fall asleep from all the efforts. 
Right. <laughs> and that it started very early on with me. I mean, your mom told us not to do things and we did them. You it know? was almost like it was a call. It was an invitation, right? We didn't hear no. We heard, please, why don't you? Please. Why don't you? Why don't you try this? So early morning, um, not even early morning, throughout the night, it sounds like you, mm-hmm. toddler, you would just refuse to be in bed, go to mm-hmm. sleep. Yes. And uh, it's weird because even as I got older, I have memories of not sleeping well, meandering around the house when everyone was in bed sleeping. In fact, I was just talking to my mom about this and my mom had no idea that I used to do that. (laughs) But I also have memories of getting up and watching Johnny Carson with my dad. Um, And, you know, if I was lucky, I'd get a bite of ice cream. Um, my sister Stephanie also has memories of, I think, getting out of bed and watching some Johnny Carson with my dad as mm-hmm. well. Cause my mm-hmm. dad always stayed up for, you know, late night with Johnny Carson. I love that. So, mm. but you know, we have stories of poor Packy the rat getting its tail chopped off because we decided to take it out of the cage I we thought broke. about Packy the rat. I did just very recently. I wondered sorry. if we were bring her up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, sorry, Matt. <laughs> we didn't do it on purpose. Um, no. And then your poor mom, us playing hide and seek in the house when she wasn't there and climbing in the garment bags and hiding in the garment bags and ruining. It brilliant. It was and a we brilliant were, place. We were swinging in them. I mean, we they were. were. They were awesome. It was a brilliant hiding place. I I challenge anyone to think about a better hiding spot during hide and seek. Why not the garment bag? You can just right? set yourself up. <laughs> Nobody knows you're in there. No one knows you're in there. It's people sized. I mean, I, it just made perfect sense to us. You right? can swing in there. <laughs> Do you remember um, the time we took out the hot rollers and rolled the Cabbage Patch dolls, corn silk hair. Oh, we weren't yeah. supposed to do that either, but no, we did. No, because corn silk apparently isn't all that corn silky. Doesn't withstand <laughs> heat very well, you know. But all of this, we were being curious. We were being adventurous. Um, we were I, we were showing early signs of being scientists. Absolutely, I was going to say this tells shows me that we were researchers. We were creative. We were yes. thinking outside the box, and that is my story. And I'm sticking to it. You know, I my friend Bruce has got me into watching The Big Bang Theory, which I never really watched when it was on TV, and. I'm like, now that you're saying all that, it's really clicking. We were little scientists and researchers back then, just as curious as could be investigating things. And I'm like, our poor mothers. (laughs) Our poor mothers. Oh, I do. I do. I I do think about our poor mothers often. Um, And though they may have, scolded us and punished us, grounded us. I think it'd be hard pressed to find a a woman who wouldn't at least be sort of cheering us on because we were never dull. We were never bored. Right. Um, And we we verbalized those words a few times that we were bored and they go, go find something to do. Okay. We always found something to do, didn't we? Indeed we did. Indeed we did. Um, I was just, 
for people listening in, I was telling Michelle that we're probably going to need to make a series about our stories of Astonishing Light because we have known each other all of our lives. Therefore, we've been getting into mischief and creating new adventurous stories all of our lives. And so we've got several decades under our belt now of it. And so don't be surprised if we have a part two, three, four, and five with my friend here. Um, And it's so much fun to reminisce. And what I'm finding, especially in this time, we find ourselves in the most unusual time, um, that remembering and reverting back to those times when we did feel secure and and, um, we did know what to do, we knew what the comforts were, um, when we were children, I'm finding that I'm thinking about our, my childhood much more um, during these times. Well, if you're going to bring that up, I'm going to say my comfort was your mom's living room. Mm. Like, you know, as I got to be an older child, and I'm talking like junior high, high school, um, you know, we found ourselves sitting in your mom's living room just talking and talking and talking and talking for hours and hours about anything, but that was a safe space. That was a safe place. You know, I, my parents were going through a lot of stuff at that time and I had a really angry dad and your mom's house, that living room was an extremely safe place. So, Mm. you know, I'm so thankful that we had our second moms. We had Sue, we had Sarah. I didn't just have my mom. I had your mom and I had uh, the McKernan's mom. So, you know, I hope that someday I can be that mom for one of my kids as friends, you know, mm-hmm. that I have a safe space. I don't have big space, but I'll share my space. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love what you just said because it actually doesn't have so much to do with the amount of, or the parameters, the physical parameters of a space, but right. it's the safety of can we talk about these things? Um, can we explore and be curious? And do we have a squad? Do we have people to do that with? That's, oh, I'm getting a little emotional. That, that, that for me was, was the same. I, I, I get reminiscent during these times, during the summer. I agree. I totally agree because, you know, we weren't in school during the summer. We had nothing but time. And that was what we did, that we spent our summers doing that. And if we weren't at the bay, mm-hmm. you know, we were on somebody's couch and preferably yours because you were the only ones that had air conditioning. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and as we got older, we were allowed to walk up to the video store. We rented videos. We would make popcorn. I yeah. mean, yeah. And your mom wasn't home. She was at work. So we kind of had, it wasn't like we were let loose. And, but we were given a certain amount of freedom to be responsible and we were rewarded for being responsible by uh, being allowed to do all the things that we did do as kids. So I feel really fortunate that we had that growing up because I feel like my kids' existence is completely different Mm. than ours growing up. And I just feel like we were so blessed, so lucky um, that we had the childhood, the neighborhood that we had, like so many people I talked to didn't have that growing up. And I just feel like, you know, yeah, um, we were just handpicked for, (laughs) 
yeah. that unique that uniqueness that was Walter Grand the Walter Grande gang that we yeah. talk about. Yeah, yeah, I I agree completely. It was a very special. Although when you think about it, a lot of people in our generation and around our age had their own pockets, had their own neighborhood crew. Right. Um, but you're right. Let's compare it to the kids these days. I I. I get a little sad for them. I feel like they didn't they didn't have the opportunity like we did. Even though we may not share blood, you are as close, if not closer, than my blood relatives because right. we spent I every agree. waking moment together <laughs> and how lucky we were. And yeah, so about your kids. So you've got a teenager and a preteen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's How, a lot of hormones in my house. <laughs> oh my word. How is that going during this time of COVID and shelter in place and with the uncertainty of what school's going to look like? How's everybody doing? You know, it's not an easy thing. Um, I feel sorry for more of my friends than I do myself right now. Hmm. Um, I am very lucky because I have two sets of grandparents close by. Um, my husband, my ex-husband's mother is very involved with helping my kids with school and she claims that she enjoys it. Um, (laughs) school started today for my son and there was already, uh, last night at eight o'clock, I'm getting phone calls saying that schoology isn't working properly. And I'm like, that's not the school's fault. It's not my son's fault. And my son was like, mom, this, you know, he was, I could tell he was like stressed out that things weren't working well. And I'm like, take it down notch, son. Like, this is not your fault. All mm. the things that are happening, you have no control over. The school mm. doesn't have control over. Yeah. It's okay. Like everything will work out the way that it's supposed to just, we're going to have to be patient. Like, yeah. um, He's very, he's not good. Uh He's very sad. He's, Mm. um, he's 14. He's starting his first year of high school and he was looking, he plays music. He plays, um, three, four instruments. And, um, he was really looking forward to the whole band experience and, you know, Mm. summer band camp and all of that, all of that Mm. comes along with all the things that you enjoy as a teenager. If you remember like all the things you were interested in, this is his love. Music is his love and his passion right now and so much devastation Mm. and this kid has not seen any of his friends since quarantine started and it's been really hard for him now I will say he has done a great job he's on the phone every day with his friends he played I all the parenting rules go out the window during quarantine I'm sure a lot of people could (laughs) agree with me on that um, all the things you wouldn't normally let your kids do, you pretty much let them do it because there is nothing to do. Mm. So my son was online every day playing his video games with his friends, with his cousins. Um, and I, honestly, like, I don't have a problem with that. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. there's nothing else to do. What are we supposed to go do? Yeah. And I'm not like, I am kind of like a homebody a little bit. so. Um, the thought of like trying to go out and figuring out something to do outside the house is just not my jam. So I was more than happy just to let him do that all summer. Honestly, like, yeah, I don't really care. Yeah. (laughs) No, it's about, 
I was just going to say, you were basically making the best of what was given to you and what you could control. And you're also, you work full time. You have a very stressful job, an important job. You and I both have not stopped working since the pandemic started. Right. Essentially been on the front lines ever since. And so there has to be some concessions made. There have to be some adjustments made so that, so that you don't lose your mind while also trying to provide some comfort for, for kids who don't know what the F is going on. Right. Um, And when all of this started, none of us knew anything. And, you know, my family was very scared. Mm -hmm. My ex-husband's family was very scared. My ex actually took my kids for eight weeks. I saw them maybe once a week for a couple, an hour maybe at the most, on my front lawn. Uh, You know, on a good day, maybe they'd come in the house, but everybody was really scared. Even I was scared. You know, I was, I would come home from work. I would walk, come through my back door, strip my clothes off. I remember calling my neighbor next door going at six o'clock, close your blinds. I'm going to be stripping down on my porch. Amazing. Amazing. And um, I did that for a really long time. I did. And then as you know, we've learned more. I'm just kind of like, I'm, I come through the front door now. I take off my shoes and I come in the front door. I don't, you know, I'm not coming into the back door anymore. I'm not as afraid. Um, I've been, in my opinion, I've been exposed to all the germs at the hospital. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm gotten way more lenient. Like I used to just come home and get right in the shower. I don't even do that anymore. I just tell the kids, just don't touch me until I get into the shower. Um, yeah. Until after I've had my shower. And so the kids know, you know, my uniform, I'm just dirty. Like, just don't touch mom till. <laughs> and sometimes they don't care. They still attack me anyways, no matter what I say. So, I'm sure. Um, I'm sure. Uh, but I think my daughter has been affected the most. Mm. Not to say that Noah hasn't been, but my daughter, Emma, has, um, you know, she's a listener. She's very observant. She's listening to what everybody says. And so she first started having trouble sleeping, going to bed, then that turned into panic attacks. And she, you know, even when she wasn't with me, she was calling me at midnight. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And I could hear, you know, the, she was so scared. She just, you know, and I could tell she would have trouble like catching her breath and I would have to talk to her to talk her down. Um, that's scary when your 11 year old is like calling you and I'm not with her. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, she's freaked out that I'm going to die from going to work. Like, gosh, mm-hmm. how do you, I mean, how do you, re- <laughs> like, how do you recover from that? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, um, I feel bad that she's been influenced in such a way that, you know, she's worried about me going to work and that she thinks I'm not safe at work. Wow. Um, But I, you know, in the beginning, I wasn't feeling safe at work. I feel very safe now. And um, I've even, you know, I don't work with sick patients. I have a well population that I see. Um, I actually went and saw my first COVID patient uh, this last week and had to get up, dress up in the gear. And, you know, so even I'm doing it. (laughs) And... um, I had to make a trip to the ICU wow. and I hadn't been to the ICU since all of this started. And that was an interesting visit for me. And the culture is so different. Um, 
being up there and those nurses and those doctors and all, everybody, the, the respiratory therapists, because, you know, they are the secret godsend to this whole COVID thing. They don't get as mentioned as much as nurses and doctors, but they're the ones dealing with these patients on mm-hmm. the, you know, that are intubated and on respiratory support in the ICUs. So, wow. To our respiratory therapist, thank you. Thank you. And thank you for mentioning them. I I that's what I would love to continue shedding some light on. There are so many stories, and a lot of them are not being heard or revealed. And so is there a proper term respiratory therapists? Respiratory therapists, that's Mm -hmm. what we refer to them. Yeah. Yeah. I think you could also call them a respiratory care practitioner, maybe. Mm. Um, but don't take me to the grave on that one. Nope. Um, but respiratory therapists is what we refer to them at my work. Yeah, yeah. And they're just as educated as I am. And um, they go through as much schooling as I do. And they have to do clinicals in the hospital, just like uh, you do to become a nurse. But I'm a, actually, I'm a lactation consultant. Um, I'm a registered nurse. I have a background. Um, I've done everything from pediatrics to orthopedics, uh, mother, baby, um, neonatal ICU, and um, perinatal. So my background mainly is in women's health during pregnancy and after delivery um, as a nurse. Mm. Um, Incredible. And currently I work in... Uh, I work as a lactation consultant in a neonatal intensive care and in a perinatal unit. So I've, you know, I've gotten to see a lot of interesting things occur since all of this has unraveled. And for our units, things have constantly evolved and there, I feel like it's evolving on a weekly basis. So Mm -hmm. a lot of stress comes from change. We always know change is good and talking about things is always a good thing, but it's hard when things change on a weekly basis. Absolutely. Because we're constantly asking each other, are we allowed to do this? Mm. <laughs> or what am I supposed to do in this situation? Yeah, we don't. Sometimes we fly by the seat of our pants too. We well, try to play of, by all the rules, but yeah. But then like you had said, what if there haven't been any rules created right. in this particular right. situation? And so I'm actually hearing again that childhood twinkle in you about how to move through um, these moments in terms of what is to be done because there, it hasn't been done before or it's, um, right. it hasn't been addressed in this particular situation with this particular uh, particular patient. And how do you and then how as a unit um, do you work through some of these sticky situations? Or is it still a work in progress and a case by case? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of how it is for me. Like um, every mother and baby Daya that I encounter is individual and every encounter is individual. I don't know if that answers your question, but it does. Kind of like when in doubt, I go to the feelings. I'm like, I always, you know, I'm kind of like one of those people that's like, I start with open-ended questions. <laughs> like, how's it going? Tell me about what's your problem or are you Perfect. having a problem? Like, Perfect. because you find out so much more information. I literally walked into a patient's room yesterday and, you know, 
maybe she was doing things I didn't agree with, with her baby, but um, I come to find out she had a three-year-old and a set of twin one-year-olds. And somewhere in between there, she breastfed her sister's twins and she had her own twins. And I'm like, oh, you're fucking amazing. (laughs) Well, she's just getting warmed up with her stories, gang. There is so much goodness to get into. We're going to continue our conversation later this week. Stay tuned for part two. A couple quick notes. Let's please give a shout out to respiratory therapists, okay? Yes, thank you. We see you. Also, you can find Michelle on Instagram at embracing underscore empathy underscore. And if you like what you hear so far, come on by and let us know. I'm also on Instagram. You can find me in a number of places. One of them is at Bliss Begins Within. Another place is at Musings on Other. And you can also leave a review for us. You can do so at ratethispodcast.com forward slash astonishing stories. I am so grateful for you. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Stories of Astonishing Light podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can support this podcast in three different ways. Number one, post a screenshot of the podcast on your Instagram stories or in your feed and tag me at Bliss Begins Within so I can repost you. Number two, share this podcast with a friend whom you think might enjoy it as well. And third, leave a positive review on Apple Podcasts so that we can continue to grow our audience and reach more listeners. I'm so grateful to spend time with you sharing such resilient stories. We'll see you next time.